Do you wanna play a game? Do you like scary movies? Do you wanna eat some brains? Is your chainsaw arm groovy? How bloodthirsty could a talking plant be? Eat your liver with some fava beans and a nice Chianti. Come play with us forever, cause down here we all float. I never drink wine, so you're gonna need a bigger boat. Or a throat to choke, whether you're in the prim or dairy. Got red rum where your blood from, put your dead son in a cemetery. It's him or carry, be very afraid. You'll be our number one fan and get carried away. All working, no play, you know it always means you're in trouble, son. I came to chew gum and kick ass and I'm all out of bubble gum. What if Quint killed Jaws' his father? What if the Bob's body was marijuana? What if the leprechaun got a job as a bank guard? What if the Wolfman had a cowbell instead of Every nards? scary movie made since Oscar Wilde was writing letters Had canon to watch them all and tell you how to make them better So put your earbuds in and forget what you're planning It's time to take our heads and shoot them out of a cannon 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 Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Shoot him out of a cannon. Head cannon. Head cannon. Welcome to Head Cannon. Tonight we have a very special guest. Uh, gentlemen, you always bring us such fun movies. It's always a good time having you on. And uh, yet, this is one we've been talking about for a long time. Um, but but before we get into that, uh, JT Robinson, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Yourself? Yeah. Doing well. Doing well as well. Brent? Yeah. Are you good? Are you good? <laughs> Dude, I'm fine. Good. Everything's fine. <laughs> good. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, but it's, there's tears coming down my face <laughs> both, out of both eyes, and they just can't see it. <laughs> Invisible tears. <laughs> but no, I had a pretty chill day. It was like a, it was a relaxed day at work, and then Shauna's uh, school district had the day off because, like, a student punched a teacher yesterday. And, Shit. and, uh, so, but it, you know, it wasn't a huge deal, but the student got expelled and then ended up punching a teacher. So they like shut down the whole district for the day to like figure out how to like security. <laughs> I, I don't know. I was like, okay, I've whatever. I've never heard of anything like that before. That's crazy. Yeah, that's, just... that's a little extreme. Yeah. The whole district. Whoa. Yeah. So, I mean, I'd rather them like have it, have them take it too seriously than not seriously enough, but, um, that's true. But the end result, you know, because I hope that goddamn TikTok challenge, punch your teacher. <laughs> no, Brent, no. Rage now. <laughs> don't say that, Brent. That's the thing. <laughs> you spoke it into existence. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I hope the teacher's OK that got punched. But it resulted in like Shauna being home for the day and we went out and got some lunch. So it was kind of nice. nice. Yeah, it's been a nice yeah. day. I've had a I've had a stressful couple weeks or I work at an adult high school mm. and in the math department, we've had rampant cheating. Okay. You know, just from like what you think, like using the phone to take a picture of it with photo math. And also, okay. So like, um, I have a lot, I have a lot of like English as a second language students mm -hmm. and they whisper in a language that I don't speak, which is every other language than this one. <laughs> and they whisper each other the answer. <laughs> and so what I've noticed is, so like, so during quizzes and tests and stuff, like, like I don't like police the room or anything like that. But when it's the final exam, like every, all the shit is on the floor. You, you you know you only have your test and your calculator and your notes. That's it. 
and people freak out because they can't. Also, I stagger it. I let some people, I let the people who are doing better take the final exam early. Nice. And then I just hold on to their paper, you know, and mm-hmm. give it to them at the end. So then, like, that person who, like, who, who posted up against the smart kid, like, she, he or she can't cheat or whatever. And so, like, you, you'll see, like, someone's getting, like, B's and A's on every test and then do not know anything. <laughs> I'm telling you, they know nothing on the final exam. And right. it's weird. Yeah, that's wild. Like, it, like plus their, their attendance was just fine. Like, so they, like, absorb nothing just out of, like, the air, like, into their brain. <laughs> so, so I have these, <coughs> sorry, I'm coughing. I have, I have a couple of Haitian students, right? And they're lovely. They're wonderful. And when people cheat, well, full disclosure, I don't really give a shit. I still get a paycheck. I don't care. They're right. not children. I'm not, like, teaching them life lessons because they're not going to, like, change their mind about it. Right. Well, and it's, so, it's, it's probably not people. It's not somebody who's going to, like go on to Harvard and then go like work at NASA and, and like fuck up their calculations because you let them cheat at adult high school and like kill an astronaut. Like we're probably not talking about, about the, the highest of stakes right now, you know? <laughs> so, so I, I mentioned, the, I mentioned like, I, I say, you know, if you go to the next class, without knowing what you, what you need to know in this one, you can't cheat over there. I was like, because the other teacher, half of his final is giving a presentation. Every person gives a presentation about it. A math so like presentation? Just, yeah, like you, you explain like an equation. You know? Okay. And so the, 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 there's a long pause, and, the, and this lady, <laughs> lady uh, chimes in, she goes, I want to tell you, we haven't been cheating all term. We've just been comparing each other's answers. And I go, that's exactly what I mean. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she had no clue that that was cheating <laughs> right. and it made me wonder like culturally like I wonder how they assess students in Haiti yeah. I, I think they'd make good um, Colorado congresswomen <laughs> I think so was the, is it a similar yeah. <laughs> that's funny yeah she, she um, she's apparently in a bit of trouble for pulling a Pee Wee Herman yeah, Bobert, Bobert. Did you yeah. hear about that, Brent? At the was it like the Beetlejuice Ooh, musical? Sorry, yes, of course. It did vaping at Beetlejuice. Is that right? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, I guess there's footage of her like um, fondling her boyfriend's um, crouch area too. So yeah. Oh, I heard very it was appropriate. Her it was. I I saw the video. It's both. <laughs> oh, excellent. It's a mutual. It's a mutual groping. <laughs> little little. They got a little a little cross grope going on. Yeah. I saw a. Uh, uh, somebody, some you know, street reporter, went up to Bobert and was like, uh, kind of just asking her about what was going on. And she was like, "Yeah, well, I've learned my lesson. Check the, uh, you know, check the party affiliation of people you'll go on a date with or whatever." Like blaming the guy she went on a date with for being a Democrat, I guess. And I was like, "Yeah," I was like, "Man, t- like take some fucking responsibility. <laughs> like you got kicked out of a musical because you were vaping and like." you know, doing over the pants hand job, like, just, yeah. I think she was also being like crazy loud. I think that's yeah. her whole like section. Yeah. She was singing and dancing. And yeah. Yeah. She was screaming Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. <laughs> yeah. The guy would have to run on stage. <laughs> yeah. She's like, why isn't he appearing for me? <laughs> uh, the, the first meme I saw was Bober Juice. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> she thinks it's real. Because it's not on the screen. (laughs) (laughs) 
she, she's like, why isn't he appearing in the palm of my hand? <laughs> I was oh. I was going to rub him on my date's wiener. <laughs> yes. <laughs> hey, there, you guys want to see a sandworm? It's right next to me. It's yeah, C12. Then they get Peter juice. <laughs> <laughs> very, very very similar to, to mugwomp juice <laughs> yeah <laughs> oh shit well uh so, what did you guys think of the film oh man i i'd seen it so yeah if we if we, to, to dive in what what year was this 91 so yeah talk about 91's naked lunch and then jt do you just want to talk about a little bit as a little intro talk about kind of why you chose this movie and 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 kind of your thoughts on it initially well um first off i, I thought it would just be like a, a good conversation movie um yeah for there's sure. a lot going on um a lot a lot of deeper hidden meanings that you kind of have to like root out yeah um, but yeah I'd, I'd first seen the movie when i was way too young to understand it um and then later, but I liked it because I liked all the weird effects and, and like just how bizarre and, and disturbing it could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then later when I was um, probably like early teens, or not early teens, late teens, I, I read the book. And the book is just absolutely graphic and disturbing depictions of sex and drug abuse. And um, it, it, it just kind of like the book made me understand the movie better, even though the book makes little sense. But it's <laughs> basically like... William Burroughs, um, when he was, you know, he was a closeted gay man mm-hmm. in a kind of a loveless marriage. And obviously, you know, if he's gay, he's not physically attracted. And I just feel like, you know, going through, like, probably born in, like, the 1910s, 1920s, and being told that everything he's, like, attracted to and fantasized about is, like, a sin and just absolutely disgusting and you're going to go to hell and you could be arrested or murdered for it. So I think he was, like, kind of, like, trying to figure out where he was like so he was associating all the horrible things with things he like fantasizes was attracted to mm-hmm. and so you got these horrible images and i think it was like him like in a stupor of drug abuse just like trying to figure out um who he was and why he was who he was yeah yeah absolutely and it's and i have not read the book i i had a similar i watched this movie when i was a kid and i remembered uh reading up on it that there's a simpsons gag that's actually pretty similar to my my own experience because i you know we've talked on this podcast before about how we would go to the blockbuster video or whatever and you'd pick out movies to watch over the weekend and you know a lot of times i was attracted to the horror movies because for a number of reasons the the covers are you know they grab you i can't think of the word i'm trying to think of Uh, evocative they yeah they stand out they're more badass yeah 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 you'd always have these evocative movie covers on the horror movies uh typically they're fun or fucked up or weird in in some way and a lot of times as a teenage boy you're like oh there's a good chance of being boobs or something in a in a horror movie versus another movie and right naked in the title <laughs> naked yeah you got naked in the title so that's that's how I first saw this movie when I was in my teens and. <laughs> <laughs> and then you saw the bug's like prolapsed mouth and you were like, father? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was like, what the, I have the strangest boner right now. <laughs> but, uh, but so there's a gag in the Simpsons where Bart and his friends go to see naked lunch and they like go in the movie theater and then they all just like walk out silent and confused. And like one of them, like one of them points up to the sign and, he, and he's like, 
I can think of at least two things wrong with that title. <laughs> yeah. But no, but I, yeah, I thought... no, I've, I've seen that episode of The Simpsons, um, and I'd, after, I'd seen it after I'd seen Naked Lunch, so yeah, the, the gag made sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. It's a very specific gag. I like it. <laughs> Good. Yeah. But I was reminded of that gag, like reading, reading back about this today. And, uh, and I want to say to our readers, we've, or our listeners, not readers, but we've been, we've been, we've been talking about doing this episode, doing this movie for, I don't know, a year now or more. <laughs> and we had to sync up to where yeah. we could all find the movie and have access to it. Like I found it at my local library here. And then we've had this episode scheduled for, I think a couple months and we've all just had various conflicts to where we had to like reschedule it so it's been i saw this movie a couple months ago and i was going through i was going back through my notes i was like okay i didn't have a chance to rewatch it before today but i saw it like a month or two ago so i'm going back through my notes and i'm like wife is shooting up baby powder uh you know like an agent who comes to believe his own story uh you know typewriter replaced with the statue of a mugwomp biting a man report on the assassinate assassination of joan lee a man appears while he writes, trying to sell. Bill walks away. Bug meat grinders sifting powder. Try- and I was like, I was like, this is fucking, I was like, I'd have no clue what my fucking notes even mean, you know? <laughs> no, that actually sounds like the, um, like, verse from his book. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like very, very, like, um, stream of thought, stream of consciousness stuff. And cool. you, you actually, like, kind of read it, like, um. How how that's supposed to be read, like you know the pauses and shit. So that's crazy that, that, that your notes made you end up writing something similar to what's in his book. <laughs> I, I accidentally reverse engineered the book from watching the movie. <laughs> so it was it was bug powder though, not baby powder. Baby is that what it said? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Why don't they cut it with? They say to cut it with. Oh, they say to cut it with baby laxative at some point. I think. Mm-hmm. But there's. But there's a lot, so I, I just had to take a minute to, like, refresh my memory and, like, watch some videos on, like, what actually happens in the movie, because there's not, and again, I haven't read the book, but it sounds like more so than the book, there's somewhat of a li- linear narrative to the movie, yeah, so but the not I much. The look at the movie is, it's, um, the Cronenberg ticket, if not from the book, but, um, what William Burroughs was going through while he was writing the book, like, all of his hook drug induced hallucinations and you know his paranoia and all that because um i don't know if you know but um william s burroughs in, in real life was an exterminator and oh, really? he did like drunkenly shoot his wife in the head and oh, um i did know that took yeah. off to tangier to like hide out yeah yeah he shot he yeah he shot he really shot his wife joan and i think mm-hmm. didn't he say that was the uh kind of what started him as a writer he said like before he shot his wife he wasn't uh, that's really what yeah, started his writing career. He needed like the guilt to drive him to the drugs to like inspire him to to um, write. Yeah, yeah, and I think there is a lot of overlap in this movie uh, uh, about drugs and writing and obsession and homosexuality, all kind of being one and the same thing. I think they all kind of overlap in this movie, and sometimes it's like it's shaded with as like a bad, guilty, like scary thing. Uh, an obsessive, like harmful thing, but then also it's also kind of hinted as all of those things combined as one thing is also hinted at being the truth and being reality and being a noble's not the word I want, but you know the truth, whether it's in your writing or or homosexuality or whatever it is, uh, the truth being something to pursue, right? 
Uh, to, to a point you made earlier about how his um, wife um, was what kind of inspired him to start writing because of like the spiral that led to him being in Tangier's mm-hmm. hallucinating that he's writing reports for bug people <laughs> and mugwumps mm-hmm. at the end. Um, and he bargains for his, um, the other, the, the alternate version of Joan. Mm-hmm. And um, like, I think she kind of represents like in his mind salvation. Yeah. And and so he saves her, and he goes to Anexia or whatever, and then um, they the guards are like, you know, write something, write something, and he can't because he saved himself, and so um, to write again, he has to shoot what you know what he's what he used to salvage himself and um, find redemption. So yeah. it's like a theme, like he can't he can't like write without having the guilt and um, the you know the just the paranoia that comes with like having murdered a woman. Yeah. Yeah, and I think that's, I, and yeah, and I, f- I find that really interesting, and it, you know, it kind of makes me think of, by the way, it's, it's Stephen King's birthday today, kind of uh, oh. totally, totally unrelated, but it does make me, you know, probably one of my favorite books about writing is his book on writing, and, you know, he suffered with substance abuse for for years, and, and so, and and, you know, I was never really hooked on any hard drugs or anything like that. But I remember, you know, um, when I quit smoking pot or whatever, it was there. Was, I, I always had this feeling like, oh, I'm going to be less creative. I'm going to I'm going to it's going to be harder to write or come up with ideas or, you know, and that wasn't even anything. It wasn't like, you know, heroin or, or anything on Burroughs level. But I've certainly I've certainly felt that and had those thoughts. And um, and for Stephen King, who had like severe addiction uh problems and and it's interesting to to hear him talk about it as somebody who has come through that and has not you know really hasn't skipped a beat creatively um there's there's actually a quote on from his book on writing that this has always stuck with me but he talks about being a writer and how one of the first things he did when he started to get popular was he got this big ornate desk and like put it in the middle of the room and you know he that because he was a writer now he was a you know Stephen King and people were making movies out of his books and they were popular and um so but he said gradually he got a it just became for an, and there's a it's not just the literal uh, of what happened but there's also a lot of metaphor behind it um but as he you know kind of got clean and dealt with his obsessions in a healthy way he got a more modest desk and ended up putting it in the corner of the room. And there's a part in On Writing where he says, uh, it starts with this, put your desk in the corner and every time you sit down to write, remind yourself why it isn't in the middle of the room. Life isn't a support system for art. It's the other way around. So I don't know. I think that's that's always stuck with me. And I think that's kind of an interesting uh, opposition to maybe you know some of the stuff being said in this movie. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, he, he didn't need the drugs after all to be creative. And that's maybe he said it in a much more profound way than that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do the, do the fancy typewriters have anything to do with that as well? Like, like the Martinelli, like <laughs> the guy was, you know, as though like if I type on something that's much more fancy, I'm talking about the man who Bill, who Bill gets the typewriter from. Yeah. Like he has these very expensive... You mean, you mean Bilbo. Bilbo. Bilbo Baggins, yeah. <laughs> or, yeah. Or the... Yeah. Uh, wasn't, she the guy, wasn't she the the lady that's given the hand job at Beetlejuice? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Lauren Bilbo Baggins, yeah. 
<laughs> she was like, she was grabbing the little hog leg, like my precious. <laughs> but yeah, no, I think for, for me, Brent, I think the typewriters are kind of, again, in that they're kind of bundled up with creativity, you know, and the fact that they're bugs with these little buttholes they talk out of. I think, I think the typewriters wrap up, I think they're wrapped up with him descending into the truth, exploring the truth, which is for him homosexuality. And I think there's a lot of, it's all kind of ground up together, you know, truth and obsession and fear and homosexuality. It's all and writing. It's all kind of like one package for him, you know, Um, at least that's the way I see it. I don't know. JT, did you have any other thoughts on it or? Um, yeah, it's kind of cyclical. I guess he, he um, needs the, the, the drugs to type, and he needs to type to get the drugs, and that's kind of, I don't know, he, they, he kind of approached the, the bug typewriters as adversarial at first, and then he got one that secreted mugwumchism, and he was quite satisfied, so I, I don't know, I think it's part of his fantasy, like, he sees the typewriters as like a, like a tool to advance, but he also, you know, is lumping it in with um. Because all of his fantasies, I think he's corrupted by um, the opinion of people around him and the fear. And so I yeah. think the typewriters kind of represented, like, the the combination of, like, lust and, and paranoia. Yeah. I don't know if I made any sense there, but... <laughs> no, yeah, no, that makes sense to me. And and I think yeah. even, you know, that has to do with when his two friends, what Hank and Martin, who I think they're kind of supposed to... Wasn't he good friends with uh, Kerouac and... Uh, yeah, they're... They're Kerouac and Ginsburg. Ginsburg, yeah, yeah, Kerouac and Ginsburg, and so when they there's that one part where they go to visit him in Interzone, and I think when they're leaving, they say something like, "They're like, all right, man, like stay long enough to finish your book, but then, you know, come back to us." And I, I think they're not only talking about the book; they're also talking about his drug abuse and uh, kind of all of it. They're like, "All right, man, like do this until you get until the book's done, but then like you got to chill out, man. You're 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 going crazy, you know." <laughs> Yeah, but with the fact they they told him to finish the book, though, they, I mean, I think they really knew he was onto something. Even though the book in the fifties was banned as obscenity, I did. Like, yeah, I did read that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you I, know, I, I think if that book were released now, it would be even um, hit with even more pushback because of how how fucking crazy the um, the government is right now. Like and woke and all that too they wouldn't understand it so they yeah. would just think it promotes murderous homosexuality or something <laughs> and, and just be like burn it yeah well i saw somebody said the other day they were like uh they were like i didn't really care you know when we had to read fahrenheit 451 in high school i didn't really care for it because i thought Is that it was, how you say it i think so you say 451? how do you say it jt fahrenheit the the other part 451 451 I just wasn't sure. I didn't know if I was saying it wrong. Oh, I don't. I think either way is acceptable. I don't know. I don't know if there's a right way to say it. Uh, <laughs> but uh, oh, but the 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 guy was saying he was like, I didn't really care for it in high school because it felt a little too on the nose, a little too obvious, you know. And he was like, but lo and behold, like here we are, you know, there are Republicans in some states, literally roasting books with flamethrowers. Yeah, uh, I saw that. That's that's um. It's a lot worse than taking a machine gun out on Bud Light. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, it's just right. 
Yeah, just hitting them. It's not even metaphor anymore. It's like taking it completely literally. No, I think that the the um the last uh, people to do that were um, Nazis in World War Two. The book right. burnings, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm sure there might be some like other um, countries like that we don't know about that have that kind of draconian thing going on. But um, the last major one was definitely at um, Hitler's request, so. Right, well, and especially looking along the trajectory of American history and, you know, conflicts or, uh, you know, that America has been a part of, like, yeah, the most significant example of book burning in America's history or anything that America was involved in was, yeah, during World War II. I'm just kind of looking through my notes about the early, in the early part of the movie. Again, it almost makes no sense to go through this in any kind of, <laughs> any linear fashion. Oh, but, you know, I am interested in talking... There, there are two quotes at the beginning of the movie. Uh, one where he says... Uh, it's a quote from... Who's it? Hassan? Is all I have written down. Yeah, I don't think that's a real person. I think Hassan was a, a character in the actual book, Naked Lunch. Oh, okay. That makes sense. That's interesting. So it's still a William S. Burroughs quote. Right. That's funny. <laughs> that's funny. I like I like when authors do that. Um, that's... Li- only because I, I read a lot of Stephen King. I talk about Stephen King a lot, but I just finished reading it and he has, a t- he's done this in his other books, but I, this is just fresh in my mind because in it, he has quotes from characters in that book as, as like beginning quotes to, you know, the beginning of a chapter. Um, That's interesting that you just said you finished it because in our very last podcast, you're like, I just started it. I, that's true. Yeah. You mentioned that. That's the yeah, one we just released. Really yeah. yeah, I know, right? That's, to me, that's what it sounds like, is that there's no, yeah, there's no in-between. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that, no, that is funny, because that's, because it's an episode that just dropped, but we recorded it probably like three or four months ago, so. Is that right? Yeah. yeah. And you were like, I just started it again, or whatever. <laughs> this is the second time you might have read it. Is that right? Is this the second time you read it, or no? Uh, no, I think I read it, I read at least parts of it as a, when I was a, a teenager. I don't know if I ever got yeah. through the whole thing. But I definitely did this time. It's very overwhelming when you see the thickness of it. Yeah, it's like eleven hundred pages. It's a it's it's a long book. Um, yeah. But uh, it's good. It's worth it. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, I've, I've read the book. It's one of my favorite Stephen King books. Yeah, yeah. I think as for I've got I've got books that I probably like more than that for various reasons. But I do think as far as. Stephen King as an author and just the quality of the book and the themes and the metaphor, like everything working together and coming together. Uh, it probably, it may be his best book, like it objectively his, you know, his, the best book he's written. It's up. I think I would read it if I went to jail. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like, 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 what? Go ahead. Sorry. No, it's okay. I don't have like a rant or anything. Like, oh, I, I was I was just thinking like I think it is only the only time Stephen King has done like cosmic horror. Like, isn't it like a timeless being that fought with um? It's been ages since I've read it, but he fought with a giant turtle that like held the universe in its eye or something. Yeah, cool. it, it's very yeah, it's very it's it is kind of it does delve into the cosmic horror, which uh, his Dark Tower series, which is a series of like eight books. Is, it kind of ties all of his books together and is kind of the mythological backbone of all of his books. And if you extend what he's doing in those books, not just his books, but all human creativity is kind of held together by this cosmic nexus of uh, the Dark Tower in kind in the in the lore of the Dark Tower series. Um, 
But if you if you enjoyed it, uh, JT, there's one he wrote in the 2010s, I think, is called Revival, and it ends up getting into some cosmic horror stuff. And it's one of my favorite books he's ever written. Even even I haven't even heard of that one. I yeah. used to read a lot of Stephen King when I um when I was um younger. Yeah, I, I still I, I I wish he would go back to to horror. I just can't get into the idea of him not writing horror. <laughs> yeah, he has been doing a lot of like crime, more crime stuff lately. And um, but uh, if you if you if you ever decide to you know pick up another Steve, Stephen King book and you want to read something more recent where he's doing doing his thing, it's horror. It's really interesting cosmic horror. Uh, I cannot recommend Revival enough. I'll have to check it out. Yeah, it's really good. Well, there's a hardcover of it on Amazon for $55. Oh, yeah. <laughs> That's silly. I mean, hardcovers are expensive. No, that yeah. should be that much. That's crazy. You get it on Kindle for nine ninety nine. Nice. <laughs> well, and, that's, and, and Brent, what you were saying about reading it when you go to prison... Uh, <laughs> Not if you go to prison. When you go to prison. Yeah, when, when, go you, to prison. <laughs> when you get caught because you know what the fuck you did. Um, yeah. <laughs> that book, because I, anymore, I don't have a lot of time to like actually sit down and read. So a lot of my reading is listening to audiobooks when I'm either driving or doing the dishes or mowing the lawn, anything like that. But just so you know, reading, at least an audiobook, at an audiobook pace, it is about 45 hours worth of reading. Okay, I remember you saying that. So okay, yeah, that's cool. <laughs> but anyway, enough about Stephen King. Uh, oh, can I mention how I watched this movie? How I watched Naked Lunch? Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, well, I borrowed it from the library like a year ago, uh-huh. right? And <laughs> I think I watched about forty minutes of it before I then found out. I think maybe we weren't going to do it to do the episode, mm-hmm. but then it got like it got brought back to the library. So then I found it on YouTube, but it's in Spanish. <laughs> but I watched it with the YouTube generated English translation. <laughs> oh no. It was that, awesome. That's awesome. Dude, it, it takes place in like what, like the Middle East? Uh-huh. Something like that? Or it, it's, it, it's, um, yeah, North Africa, I think. If you if you watch it with like Spanish dubs and then, and then like English <laughs> translations, it's like immediate telemundo. It's amazing. <laughs> It's awesome. Is that That's the a, only way you saw it? Uh, I did watch it about forty minutes of it in English yeah. uh, from a DVD from the library. I think yeah. I think that's I've read that's Cronenberg's preferred way to watch it is in Spanish with English subtitles. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's great. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like, the translations were off a little bit, but like with context, you could understand. Like when she like like there was like lines where it was like, yeah, you need to. It, it made sense that you should come over here or whatever, but the translations would be like, do not come over here. <laughs> but you could understand, okay, they're, they're, they're coming over there. Like they must, it's just messed up. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, but anyway, so the, the quotes at the beginning of the book, there's the first one is nothing is true. Everything is permitted, which I think is interesting. Still maybe a bit enigmatic for me, but then there's the, the other quote from William S. Burroughs that says, Hustlers of the world, there is one mark you cannot beat, the mark inside. Right? I think that just goes through, you know, with all the themes of the movie of just, you know, no matter how much you try to hide it or, you know, in Burroughs' case, ignore the fact that you're gay, there, you know, you can't, you can't, uh, your true self is still in there regardless, you know? Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. 
you think that's still a huge a huge thing for a closeted person to do would be just to get married or even like i that's not that common anymore i'm I'm sure it happens but like back in the 40s and 50s it was like your only way to kind of hide i think yeah and so were there instances yeah yeah right and then so were there instances of like let's say like a lesbian marrying a gay person or a homosexual person and then they they just have an understanding like we'll just live this life that's a secret that that i can see that happening yeah well i think there's that and then there are also people uh like my parents where you know i think maybe my mom i i don't know that she's not attracted to men but I, she's definitely yep. attracted to women, and I think just her religious upbringing, and you know, just being with a woman wasn't even an option. It wasn't even a thought. So you know, after a twenty-year tumultuous, terrible marriage with my dad, you know, they finally divorced, and she's been with women ever since. Yeah, well, yeah. I'm honestly, good for her. Oh yeah, it was it was the best thing for everyone involved uh was <laughs> was uh their their divorce and separation was uh yeah every everyone is better for it well, i i also wanted to um comment on the practical effects oh um, yeah yeah for sure yeah, per- particularly um when um eve eve uh, cloquet mm-hmm. um devours um kiki yeah that yeah. That, that was i remember that scene really disturbed me when I was too young to see it. And it, like I, every time I've watched it a few times, I really enjoy the movie. It's, it's not an easy watch. Mm-hmm. It, it can be a little slow at times and it's, it's very brooding and like, you know, it's not happy go lucky. Like <laughs> it has some comedy to it, but um, that scene still, every time I see it, it's, it's just like, it, it's not even the most violent thing I've ever seen in film, but something about it, like just a giant centipede, just like, sucking this guy from the inside out yeah well do you think and i and it it kind of seems like bugs or at least centipedes in this movie like kind of personify his fear right seem to be bug related or or bugs kind of represent his fear maybe but i think especially in that scene it's him you know his view of of gay sex being like uh violent and erotic and like frightening and everything and confusing all at the same time mm-hmm. i mean I, I i yeah and i don't I, I mean i think that's a fairly obvious read but but that's you know it was yeah you're right though it looked it looked incredible and was like and is very disturbing but i also uh jt think that's that scene where he's with tom's wife right the second joan mm-hmm. um and they're making love and the the typewriter yeah. turns into like a man's torso with uh the butt being kind of the human part that's accentuated uh, as as being as looking somewhat human and like climbs on top of them and starts humping them right and i mean I, <laughs> like a fish like a fish yeah flopping and i think that's shiny. <laughs> yeah that, I, I think that's him like trying to have heterosex and these gay thoughts intruding like you know <laughs> Yeah, no, that that that's kind of what I took from the scene too. Is like, um, he that's he that was kind of part of his fantasy, so he could like actually um, have sex with the woman. Yeah, and then I like the introduction of like the maid. Yeah, <laughs> like the the, the the writing crop, like sp- spanking. Yeah, she's very very militant. <laughs> yeah, F- Fidela, Fidela, or whatever her name was. Right, you yeah. may not have these thoughts. Yeah. Who ends oh, up? Exactly. 
who ends up being Roy Sh- uh, Scheider, right? Yeah, I was about to say, yeah. Benway is actually a huge character, like a recurring character in the book, and he's like this um, sleazy, um, at times he's like a pharmacist who's like, you know, doing dirty dealing, and at other times he's like this um, psychotic, um, like, surgeon who, like, um, mutilates people, and, like, yeah, it's 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 a bizarre book, but um, Benway is a huge part of that, and I think... Um, I think the reason he's like such the villain in the book is um he that that's like um Burgess's way of like you know how he feels about the first person who kind of like you know got him into you know got him hooked on shit is like the, the enabler. So yeah. in the in the book you said he's like a surgeon at something like is he like embodying these different people? Yeah, like they the, like all the characters that like Burroughs would um deal with that um he like where he I think where he found like thrill or attraction but also repulsion because he was repressed like they they he personifies them into these grotesque characters who do horrible and, and can like there's like he talks about like one of the dealers is like just literally turning into this like amorphous blob and absorbing the the, the, the mark I mean so yeah the, the book is very much like it's, it was right up Cronenberg's alley it's very much body horror yeah, well, I think Chrono because a lot of actors tried to make or wanted to make this or or sorry, not actor directors. I think I read that um, fucking what's his name, Stanley Kubrick. I think Kubrick was interested at one point, maybe. Oh, that would have been an interesting take. Yeah, but but I don't know if if Burroughs is quoted as saying this, but I think Cronenberg has said that Burroughs felt Cronenberg was the only guy to really make this movie. So it makes it makes sense. Yeah, like yeah. The movies he made before, like um, what was it, the Scanners and um, the, f- oh, the Fly. Videodrome's the... fucking awesome. Yeah, I've always wanted to see that one. I haven't seen Videodrome. I, I um, I think personally, I like Naked Lunch of all the Cronenberg movies the best, but Videodrome would have to be like right up there in my top three. Yeah, like, the History of Violence is also very good, but. Naked Lunch was just so unique. Yeah, I've heard. Yeah, that's also one, uh, Brent. That's on our list, and that's one I want to see as well. That's that's also a blind spot for me as far as I, I've just I've never I've never watched it for whatever reason. Um, oh, it, it was it's um it's almost prophetic considering it was made in like the mid eighties. It pretty much um, called it pretty much called the internet out for what it was going to be before it was even a thing, and that's basically just a way to you know instead of being a source of good it's just a way to like satiate your desires like yeah. pornography and shit like that so yeah, yeah i highly recommend that one well and and just on that note like i've kind of uh come to think of cuz i've i've talked before about a book i read in high school called four arguments for the elimination of television right um and it talks about it talks a lot about television being a passive mode of information gathering right it's as opposed to and then i always think of this i saw an interview with a director of the cia a former director of the cia who was kind of saying the same thing about television who was saying when we when we have a when we gather intelligence which is what we do at the cia we have a question and we go out seeking information to answer that question that's how we gather intelligence right and and he equated watching television to like kind of being a baby bird and just swallowing whatever the mother bird vomits into your throat, right? Mm-hmm. So it's a it's an active mode of gathering information versus a passive mode. Or sorry, it's a passive mode rather than an active mode. 
And I think the fucked up thing about especially social media is the internet, the internet's kind of an inherently active way of gathering information, right? You have to search things, you have to seek. The internet at its core is, could be a, you know, as a repository for an active method of gathering information. But what we've done with social media and, you know, scrolling through videos and TikTok and kind of what the internet has become, we've televisionized it into a passive method of gathering information where once again, you're not actively seeking the answer to any question. You're just sitting there scrolling and ingesting whatever's put into your eyeballs, you know? Yeah, no, that's, that's true. Um, I, I truly um, avoid uh, most social media um, outside of Instagram just because, well, not, not for that reason, but um, I was like being brainwashed, but mainly because I, it was, it's just, it's like a platform for people to like show their true colors. And it was kind of disappointing how many of my friends were like, not who I thought they were once they got the, got on social media and they just kind of air all their dirty laundry or their politics. Yeah. Yeah, that's another thing, too. I think it's easy to, you know, say stuff to people you wouldn't say to their face. And and another thing is I think, you know, it's bringing the world together and making the world smaller isn't necessarily a good thing when... No, I agree. I totally agree. Yeah, well, because I think if you, you know, for for instance, kind of the, the big Republican right-wing... Uh, scapegoat right now is is trans people right and transphobia and i think without social media these fucking you know hicks and bumfuck nowhere wouldn't even know trans people existed let alone have an opinion on their existence you know and trump would have never been president (laughs) trump no i i i yeah without social media trump is not president yeah i i firmly believe that but you know, if they were exposed to trans people in a way in real life where they had to, like, interact with them and see them as human beings and, like, get to know them, that's very different than, you know, the, than this manufactured outrage, you know, hearing, hearing, experiencing trans people through the medium of, like, Jordan Peterson or Ben Shapiro or Matt Walsh or any of these fucking scumbags, uh... Just you, you know, appealing to people's bigotry for political points. You know what I mean? Yeah, can I no. share? Can I share a YouTube video I saw today with you? Yeah. Yeah, I went down a little rabbit hole of this guy named Professional Douche. Okay. <laughs> he goes. He goes to Trump rallies, and he pretends to be on their side. He's like one of those people. Mm-hmm. So, like, one I saw today was he held up a sign at a Trump rally. There's like it's on a sidewalk in front of a busy street, and it's and there's a bunch of people, old people there supporting Trump, and his sign says, um, "The KKK endorses Trump," <laughs> okay. and he's like shouting it. He's shouting it out, you know, at the people passing by, and all the supporters are like, "You you're not supporting our cause," but he keeps going like, "I'm with you, right? We're on the same team." Yeah, and he's, he's like with them. It's so awesome. (laughs) And so, like, a cop is like, well, I don't know. The cop comes by and is like, I I think that if you stay here, something bad will happen. And he has a brilliant next line. He goes, no, my friends will help me. (laughs) (laughs) He doesn't get it. Oh, man, it's so good. Yeah, that is good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Yeah, just taking their 
Yeah. He sticks. He stays with the bit. It's so awesome. Yeah, taking their shit <laughs> to the logical conclusion. Yeah. Well, but. he also sees. Wait, I'll do one more thing, and I'll <laughs> shut up. I promise. No, you're fine. Like he's got like a bunch of videos, and he targets this one guy who he happens to see at all these rallies. Okay. Named Samuel. <laughs> and he's always like Samuel, and Samuel's like, "No, he's back!" And he like, <laughs> and he's always like, "We're gonna be friends, Samuel. I need a hug." And Samuel's like, "No." He like photoshopped himself with Samuel, like he's in a in a hot in a in a, in a tub, and Samuel's like sitting outside the tub. Uh huh. <laughs> and he gives it to him, and Samuel rips it up, but he's got like a whole stack of them. He's like, "Don't you want a pocket sized picture of you and I?" <laughs> That's awesome. What's Sorry, that? I'm gonna have to I'll shut up. I'll shut up about no. it. <laughs> no, that sounds fun. And you know what's gonna happen is I'm gonna forget about this, and then when I'm editing this podcast in like four months, I'm yeah. going, to, I'm gonna hear you say that, and I'm gonna be like, oh yeah, and then I'm gonna look it up, and I'm gonna. So I'm, I, I guarantee, I, I will look this guy up in like four months. I'm gonna get curious and be like, oh yeah, shit, what was that? <laughs> yeah, yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. Sorry. I just happened to kind of fit, and I was excited that I saw that today. No. No. <laughs> that's how it, that's how it always goes though like i always like we do a podcast and then i forget what we just talked about the minute after yeah. it stops but then when, as i'm editing i'm always like oh yeah i, would, I was gonna look into that and i wouldn't look into that like it's always like hearing it for the first kind of like the first time when i go back and edit it you know <laughs> yeah that's good. um but i we did you know kind of talking about um predicting things and I saw a video of Peter Weller talking about the book and just kind of like the the satire of the book and talking about how it kind of predicted, you know, the AIDS epidemic, the crack epidemic, liposuction. And it was kind oh, of yeah, talking right. about those sorts of things before they and predicting them before they ever really happened. Yeah, no, definitely. that I, I totally see that now that you say that. Yeah, which I thought was interesting. And again, I haven't read the book. I, I want to read the book. I'm going to read the book. Um after this but not for four months not for four months no (laughs) honestly no again it'll be a year before you can find the book (laughs) (laughs) i'll have i'll have to like pull its charred its charred its charred carcass from a pile of books in florida (laughs) um actually i i have a copy somewhere um if i find it I, i might reach out to you um and see if you want me to like mail it but okay. it, you can find it at like bookstores. It's not that hard to find. But yeah, let me look into it. You, you know, some one of the libraries up here may even have a copy. Maybe they've got they've got pretty extensive uh, collections up here. But um, but one thing this isn't really inter- super interesting, but I thought it was somewhat interesting that while Cronenberg was making this movie, he was he was also starring in Clive Barker's Nightbreed. Yes, yeah, I, I knew that too. Um, I, I'm I'm a big Clive Barker fan, so I, I love Nightbreed. Yeah, yeah. Which I've I've seen clips of that movie. I mean, I'm familiar with you know Hellraiser and and that stuff, but um, yeah. I just I found that interesting that he was working on both things concurrently. Well, if if you decide to watch Nightbreed, there is a director's cut, and it is much better. They oh. made some cuts in the theatrical release that um made certain scenes just almost like unintentionally funny oh really <laughs> yeah okay yeah yeah, yeah. Dr- okay I'll, I'll definitely seek that out then for sure i think that's also on our list somewhere brent did, i have a list of like i don't know 300 400 some movies um 
but which and then I've narrowed it down. I've got like a smaller, like a short list of fifty movies, which that's typically what I give to people when they're when they ask. Uh, sorry, my dogs are going crazy. My family just got home. Um, but when people ask for movies, <laughs> they get more ferocious. Yeah. <laughs> they're just tearing them apart. <laughs> just just hear them attacking, and somebody's like, "Oh God!" And you hear gunshots. I'm like, "It's fine. It's fine, guys. Don't worry about it." <laughs> oh Jesus! <laughs> But your family wins. It's good. Yeah. They kill, they, they kill all the dogs. <laughs> uh, yeah. Sorry. That's. A, I don't even have a dog. I don't even know who's another dog came to like. He's like, this is my house now. He's like a pack of dogs. <laughs> yeah. This these strange dogs. They're actually kicking my family out right now. Like, Here, hold on one second. I'm sorry. Oh man. If we start hearing gunshots, then. Yeah, that's right. What, does he? Even, I don't even. I don't know if he owns a gun. Yes, we should ask him. <laughs> I, 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 I bought a gun at the beginning of the whole COVID thing because I was the, all the media had me convinced there were going to be riots and better safe than sorry. Yeah, well, it was it was eerie. Um, because I'm not into guns, but um, when I went to get it, um, I went to uh, oh some some like farmer shop or whatever I can't remember what it's called. Um, Rural King. Oh. Okay, yeah. Yeah, and they were there was a line like thirty minutes long at the gun counter, and um, I got their last nine uh, millimeter. <laughs> like every, every gun shop in town or in in Indiana was was like sold out. It was it was surreal. <laughs> what did you end up getting? Um, it was a Beretta Glock. I've only shot it once. So I, I um, I'm a lousy shot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's right. I, went, I, I like went to calm my dog my dog down and get back and the first thing I hear is like JT's like yeah I don't really like guns but I got a gun. Just you know so, just in case I have ever have to do my William Tell routine. <laughs> oh, no, yeah, you don't you don't want me on the other side of the gun. I, I'm I'm a bad shot. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> I'd probably do more damage to myself than any attacker. <laughs> yeah. Do you own a gun, Corey? I don't for exactly that reason. Um, but you would shoot yourself. Well, that's. I, I mean, I think any household, it, any household that has a gun, the rates, uh, the odds of an an accidental shooting, or and also the the rates of suicide go up, right? Yeah. So having a gun in the house is inherently dangerous, and then. Yeah. Yeah, I can't. I can't speak on suicide, but I, I live alone, so I, I um, don't have to worry too much about someone else coming across it and hurting themselves. Yeah, which you know, yeah. and I and, and I could get a, a a little safe with my fingerprint. I I have considered it mostly because of the overall political climate at times more than anything mm-hmm. else. No, but, I, I I um worked with a guy who was um we would have like discussions that always ended up being arguments because he was pretty conservative and i'm i'm not conservative but um he, he said something that frightened me once and he was he was like basically like if um you know if the shit hits the fan and, and civil war happens um we're gonna be coming for your stuff not the other way around and i was like damn he's right yeah they have old guns <laughs> exactly yeah that's yeah okay and, and so i i i read a reddit post like two days ago and it was like so if everything was legal for 24 hours what would you do and i totally fell into it for a second i was like oh you know what i think i would go like and i 
buy pot and I started to say the word pot and then before I even finished I was like fuck no I'm gonna stay home <laughs> yeah I'm not going anywhere <laughs> yeah like they were like alluding to like the purge stuff, stuff yeah. you know yeah yeah no the purge happened you fucking hide you stay keep your like, head no, down I would do anything and I, I clicked the comments and the first thing was hide someone yeah. said hide <laughs> yeah <laughs> well and that and what you mentioned JT I think that's the only thing that's ever made me think like ever even consider the idea but I, but I do think there's a lot of, you know, you hear this all the time. Like if you go far enough left, you get your guns back, you know, um, <laughs> I do. I, I never that. That's good. I do. Like, I hope it never comes to that, but I do think that if that were ever to happen, I think a lot of these right wingers are going to be unpleasantly surprised. Uh, uh, <laughs> I, I don't think the, the leftists they come for are going to be as unarmed as they think we are, you know? Um, but but so the so the other reason is I haven't seen anything conclusive and and if any studies have been a studies probably haven't been done and if they have they've probably been suppressed by the gun lobby but uh that it, in in a in a situation where somebody is coming at me I'm minding my own business because whenever this situation occurs it's going to be me not intending to do harm. And then somebody else coming at me intending to do harm, right? So they already have the upper hand. And if I add into the equation having a gun on my side, does it increase the chances that I defend myself? Or does it increase the chances that it's either used against me or accidentally used against one of the other four people in my house? And I don't know the answer to that equation, but I'm not convinced that the, the, the net, the, I'm not sure there's a net gain in safety. You, does that make sense? Yeah, no, there's, um, yeah, pulling a gun just exacerbates the situation, um, to the point where the individual invading your house might not have meant to harm you, but, you know, you pull the gun and he does. But, uh, um, right. and then it's like the punishment for just taking a couple dollars doesn't really fit the, the consequences of death. Right. Yeah. For, for me or anyone in my family, like you could take every single thing in my fucking house for at that point. You know what I mean? As long as everyone's safe. I think that most people are getting robbed during the day while they're at work. That's yeah. If, if that's I a, think if you're a criminal going to someone's house, like in the middle of the night, you're a fucking idiot. Right. They probably have a gun. Yeah. We're, yeah. And yeah. Worst time to do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but anyway, but, the, yeah, I was just like caught up in the, the, mania of the whole situation back then it was um like i i think some people forget how absolutely mind-bogglingly insane it was when when covid was first hitting over here yeah oh yeah and it's like my, my brother was the one who convinced me to get the gun because he was like um yeah i went into a gun shop to look at a gun the other day and they every they had all, all full cases and um full shelves and i went back the next day and they were all sold out and i was like that's frightening because i you know who's buying the majority of those guns yeah idiots it, mm. yeah yeah far right-wing idiots yeah <laughs> not you though jt like i think you're justified in what you well, did well like, no well and that's a, and, and that's, i trust you more than i do those idiots right but yeah, that's no well I, like I said, I, if i had a family I, I don't think i would have purchased a gun but um it was um it was literally like um right after i i had covid and i had covid when it was early on and like you know, everyone was convinced you were going to die if you had COVID. So it was like right after that, and you, I was stuck in my apartment for two weeks 
with nothing to do but like you know watch news and shit and i think i went a little insane for a minute <laughs> and then i got out and i was like yeah, yeah I, I i need something to defend myself yeah well and that's and that's and like i said the thought has definitely occurred to me and i think there are a lot more leftists with guns than a lot of people might expect but well then like i'm a leftist with the gun and i think the reason that a lot more leftists have guns is because the right has so many Right. Well, because they're because they're like they're you know their their weekend hobbies now are like dressing up in camouflage and go, cosplaying soldier out in the country, like you know running around yeah, shooting. When they're not burning books and shooting Pepsi or not Pepsi, but um, Bud Light. <laughs> yeah, yeah, burning books, shooting Bud Light, and fucking running fake army drills in the woods. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, have you even seen anyone? I mean, have you seen someone have road rage in the past like five years? Like. That's so stupid. Yeah. Like, why would you ever rage while driving nowadays? Because that's just like asking to get shot in the face. <laughs> I have to be honest. I, I have um, probably flipped more people off from road rage than I should have. But I, I that I, that's where my temper flares the worst is when I'm driving. Yeah. If, if you cut me off, I'm instantly pissed. And, like, I want to ram the back of your car. <laughs> but at least I can just flip you off. <laughs> Yeah, and that's a good enough release. Yeah, that's yeah. Good. I think, but you know, you think about it afterwards. I'm like, you know, that's that's how you get shot. <laughs> yeah, you flip the wrong person off. Yeah, they're already pissed off. Yep. Yeah, you don't know what kind of day they had. Yeah, well, and most people who are driving like jerks, I just assume are probably mean or petty, pissed yeah. off people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I just always drive like I've got nowhere important to go. That's just, I just try to keep that mindset all the time. I'm in the Casual middle lane on the highway, just going the speed limit. Yeah. No, I, I like driving. My, I, I I like driving my car, and I like yeah. casual driving. I if I'm um, bored and I'll just throw in like an audiobook and drive around. But um, even even when I'm like driving for like pleasure, you cut me off, and and I'm not listening to that book anymore. I'm, <laughs> I'm like seeing red, and I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm generally a really laid back guy, but I, I get I get road rage, and I, I really wish I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, before uh, before we wrap up here, I wanted to um, the main thing I wanted to talk about is I remember, and actually, I I had a couple. A lot of times, if I have an idea for not a, but not only this, but like for a story or something I'm writing or whatever, I'll like just do. A, I'll record a video of me just like talking, right? So I don't forget it, so I can go back to it later. Um, and I had a video that I just watched earlier today that one thing this movie did for me was it uh, generated a lot of thoughts about writing uh, that I, I don't think is anything that was that's necessarily discussed in the movie or talked about, but it definitely, um, yeah, like I said, inspired some thoughts. But the first thing is, you know... As someone who does write on a case, you know, a lot of a lot of the writing I've done has been for the stage for, you know, this uh, group I started in Indianapolis called Defiance Comedy. But um, one of the thoughts I had was as a writer, there's really I, I for me, I see two reasons to write either one you like it's because you feel you have something to say and you're almost like, oh, I need to communicate this. I need to tell people this thing, whatever it is, this thought or. Um, you know, people need to know this and I need to tell them. I think that's the first reason. And then the, the other reason I think is just wanting to connect and wanting to relate to other people. And 
you know, just the the weirdness of being a human being in this weird world. Like, I think it's natural to want to connect on some level. And so I think there's, um, I assume maybe there are other reasons people write, but I always assume it's probably a mixture of those two things. Uh, you know, sometimes it's maybe more one, sometimes it's more the other, but a, a desire to like tell people things and then, but also a desire to like connect and relate, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, um, unfortunately I kind of like, um, side more with the, uh, Burroughs approach. I, I used to write a lot in college, um, it, like stream of consciousness, but I was, I was almost always high. Yeah. <laughs> and since I've cut back on all that, man life in general i was working 10 hour shifts and yeah and just just um i don't know i mean you, you um once you're in like the, the the work cycle um it just like anytime you're not at work yeah for at least me anyway i just i just want to like disconnect and relax and I, I don't feel like thinking yeah well that and that's you know and that actually brings me to my other point or the other thing i wanted to talk about which is you know, in Stephen King's on writing, but in also like, I think pretty much every book about writing that I've ever read, any, any blogs I've read or whatever, the hardest part to anything, but I think writing included is just starting, right. Is just sitting down and forcing yourself to do it. And there are other books and movies that have, you know, writing and creativity as an obsession, as an addiction is not unique to this book or this movie or anything. That's, I think it's a common theme, a common trope in, in fiction, but that is, that's one thing I can relate to because I think in my life, like you said, JT, I could probably prioritize work. You know, I, I don't work much more than 40 hours a week, 45, so, you know, maybe if I'm really busy, maybe 50 hours a week, but uh, you've got to work to live. So I, I definitely make time for that, right? And then after that, I make time for my family, you know, hanging out with my family, hanging out with my kids, whether it's like watching movies with them or whatever. And then right below that, if I have any time that's not taken up by those two things, it's hard for me to do anything else. It's hard for me to sit down and watch a movie or just relax or unwind, which is one of the reasons I like doing this podcast is because it forces me to, I'm not just, I'm not just fucking off watching a movie for pleasure. I'm doing it because I have to, I have a deadline. I have to watch this movie. It's almost forcing myself to do something I enjoy in a guilt-free way that I otherwise probably wouldn't do it. Right. Um, because if I'm not working or spending time with my family, anything else I'm doing in my mind, I'm always like, I should be writing something. I should be doing something. I should be working on something. Uh, so it, and, and I guess it is like kind of an obsession that is just always, there's never, I, I don't know. There's never a point in my life where I'm just like, and I do not, to, I do take days or whatever. Where I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to chill tonight. I'm gonna, I want to watch this movie. I'm going to watch. It does happen. But most of the time. I'm either working, hanging out with my family, or my mind is like, yo, you should be writing. You really need to be sitting down and like putting shit down right now, you know? But yeah, I, don't... No, I, I kind of wish I was actually a little bit more like that. Um, uh, when I'm at work or when I'm leaving work, I'm, all I'm thinking about is um, not having to think and just like turning <laughs> on something mindless or um, getting into a video game. Yeah, which that and and I think and and I can understand like why what I'm saying would be appealing to you, but what you're saying is also appealing to me because I can't play video games, JT. I can't. I just can't do it. Like I've I'll st like I'll I'll play, I'll play a game for maybe a week, and then I'm like, nope, that's too much of a time. I I I I just feel so bad. I'm like, I can't do. I got to stop. I got to turn this off and like 
erase this. <laughs> uh, but, uh, what else did I have here? Um, oh, I do think something, something I think makes for great writers that I don't, I, I think I, maybe I, I wish I were better at is, um, seeing the world as, as, as metaphor and symbol, right? Like finding patterns in things, but not only finding, recognizing symbolism in things and like drawing metaphors between different things, but also like choosing to believe that that has meaning, right? Like, n like not only drawing metaphor, but almost treating that whatever metaphor you've constructed in your head as objective reality and having some actual concrete bearing on your life and on reality. Does that make sense at all? Yeah, no, it does. So that was just a thought that occurred to me that I, I think some of my favorite writers are able to do that. I, I wish maybe I were better at at times, but then, okay. So then the other thought I had about writing is that how it's kind of like, at least for me, you know, kind of like uh truth through obfuscation, right? Like it's for me as a desire to like communicate things and like talk about things and be honest but never wanting to be seen as like weak or vulnerable or, or, uh, you know, anything like that. So writing, especially fiction is a way to like get at these truths and be vulnerable, but doing it like distancing yourself and doing it through characters and through prose. So it's not, it's not me, me like actually being vulnerable. It's like playing it out and like my character saying that, you know, does that, does that make sense at all? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, 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 um, like I said, I, I, um, used to try to write, I, I occasionally tried to, um, write, um, like, stories, like, I, I wanted, at one point, the goal was to actually try to write a book, like, a fictional book, and, you know, I, I'm obsessed with, like, um, weird, so, of course, I was gonna make it weird, <laughs> and, um, but, yeah, like, I put a lot of myself into the character that I'm writing from, like, their perspective, because, so, you know, I, I can't draw from other people's perspectives. So, yeah, I think um, in writing fiction, a lot of it goes into it. Yeah. Yeah, and I think for me, like, yeah, of course, there's there's going to be bits of you in every character because ultimately it's all coming from you, right? Um, mm -hmm. But I do think, but a, a lot of what interests me is 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 trying to get in the minds of other people and, like, figure out why they do what they do and why they think what they think and, like, and again, ultimately, it all comes back to me. It's coming from me. But... Yeah, no, I, like, um, and I'm, I'm by no means a, a, a good writer or even a mediocre one. Um, I'm, but um, yeah. So when I would write, and I tried to maybe four or five times to write like a story, mm -hmm. and I'd get like maybe I think maybe the most I got into one was maybe close to twenty five pages before I kind of just like petered out. Yeah. But um, yeah, the I'm the character that's the. The, the perspective of the story is being told from mainly, and then yeah, I try the, the, the other characters. I try to make yeah, I don't want them all to be me because that <laughs> would just be boring and weird. So yeah, yeah, I try to get into other people's minds and um, think of how they would speak or react and to like weird situations or normal situations. And um, I, I find that um, I feel like I do better with the reactions than the dialogue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, and I think for me, uh, writing, because most of what I've written was for the stage for Defiance Comedy, uh, a lot of my stuff I find to be dialogue heavy, just because on well, on the stage, that's all you have, right? It's just actors reading lines. So that's that's something I've been working on the last few years is 
can I can I show this? Do I need to have do, do do my characters need to be explaining this thing, or is there a way I can show it rather than have the actor like you know say it? Like, so yeah, avoid exposition, um, kind of. Yeah, yeah. Which I have I have a script right now that's it's done, but I need to go back through and yeah, polish it up and do all yeah try to convert as much of the dialogue to yeah description as possible. In two weeks, we're talking about 2010's Beyond the Black Rainbow. So be sure to check that out. And as always, you can follow us on Facebook at Dangerous Explosion Presents Headcanon, on Instagram at Pod, on Twitter at Horror Movie Pod, and you can always follow the subreddit r slash horror movie pod. But anyway, was there anything else y'all want to talk about uh, before we kind of wrap up and get into headcanons here? I, I think we were we we did a pretty good um I think so too. review. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, then, do either of you have a headcanon you want to go forward with, or I can go first? It doesn't matter to me. Um, I actually don't this time. Um, I feel like the film is enough of a headcanon on its own because <laughs> I mean, there's so much room for interpretation, mm-hmm. which I love. I love movies like that where you um the movie is this for me, but something completely different for the person sitting next to me or something like that. Yeah. 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 Which, yeah, I love that about this movie. I think that, yeah, it's so, so subjective and it's, and yeah. And, and not that you don't get this with movies that have more of a linear narrative, but um, I do like, like more than a lot of other movies, this movie invites you to just kind of feel it and experience it and kind of like, feel your own feelings about it and like, you know, just think your own shit about it, you know? Yeah. Um, well, Brent, do you want to go ahead or I can go ahead? I can go ahead with my head cannon that I just wrote down right now. Cause I forgot up, in, up until now that that was a Do thing it. that was needed. Um, all right. So my head cannon is one of these mugwumps at the end. Cause they're all tied up and they're being like milked for their mugwump jism. Right. That was weird. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, so, by the way, there's a rap song about this movie where they um uh, they talk a lot about mugwumpism. I can't think of what it's called, but um yeah, well, there's a hip hop song about this film. Well, JT, in about three or four months, I'm gonna be looking it up and listening to it. So. <laughs> I think it was. By it right I'll drop it right here. Alright, so my uh my headcanon is that one of these mugwomps uh escapes, right? He's released and and this mugwomp he just goes back, he just wants to live a normal life, right? So he kind of moves to back to the US and you know, assumes kind of a normal name and registers as a Democrat, is just trying to live a normal life, you know, outside of being a, a, a captured uh mugwomp jism slave. And so then he, you know, and he, and he's like, well, I want to, you know, I think I'd like a family. So he gets on dating apps and he's, you know, he's like swiping left, swiping right. And he connects with somebody, you know, and they start messaging back and forth. Hey, we should go on a date. We should do whatever. And she's like, oh, maybe we should go see a show. So they go together 
and they go see Beetlejuice the musical. And then, <laughs> and then Lauren Boebert is rubbing the mugwump, the little mugwump tubes on his head while they're watching Beetlejuice the musical. So that's my headcanon. <laughs> that's that's still a prettier picture than the images I saw. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> Brent, I hope that I hope your headcanon did not have to do with Lauren Boebert. I'm sorry if it did. Okay. The scene starts off. Mm-hmm. Bill sits down at his typewriter. He begins typing. The words that he types are Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Eighteen months later, he has fused himself with multiple typewriters all over his body as a suit of armor. <laughs> at the opening, at the opening of his new Broadway musical, there's a real loud lady vaping. <laughs> Out of his prolapse emerges a gun. <laughs> A ribbon spool, a ribbon spool receptacle <laughs> attaches to his eye, like, <gasps> and it pulls up a zoomed-in image of her blueberry raspberry elf bar vape device. No smoking, citizen. And he moves to shoot it out of her mouth. Fast forward to his execution. Three liquids are pumped into his arm, but it only excites it only excites him. It has no effect. He turns to the spectators and says, dead or alive, you're coming in me. <laughs> That's <was> fantastic. <laughs> you're you're going to love video, Drum. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll watch it before we review it. Yeah. Before it comes up on the sketch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was- yeah. <laughs> yeah, we do not have it in the queue at the moment, so. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, JT, thanks for being with us. Is there anything you want to want to mention or word you want to leave us with before we, we skedaddle here? Leave Bobert alone. <laughs> <laughs> Is that like the Britney? The Britney? Yes. Yeah, that was my best <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, thank you. As always, JT, it a, it's been a pleasure. And thank you, everyone at home, for listening. This has been Head Cannon. <laughs> Time to discuss your uh, philosophy of drug use as it relates to artistic endeavor.
Giant aquatic Brazilian centipede. 